Okay, so Luke 21, we're going to pick up there at verse 28 and take it to verse 38, actually. I have 36, but we'll take it down to verse 38. And um, there's not a whole lot that's left in this section, but it's the, it's the kind of the, the part of the, the passage where we find out why do we get all this information about the end times? Why are we given these details? Um, and the answer is so that we might live properly, that we might know the Lord's return, that we, our hope might be stirred up, that we might be looking up for our redemption. So the title is Escape the Coming Trouble. And last week, um, we covered you know, a lot of ground. Obviously, we covered 27 verses. Um, and in that section, we talked about how the temple was going to be destroyed, that they were uh, pondering and amazed at in verses 5 through 6. Verses 1 through 4 was a woman who gave the two mites, and Jesus commended her. In verse 7, the disciples ask about the timing, and um, Jesus responds in verses 8 and 9, says the temple's destruction is not going to be the end, but there is a coming tribulation in verses 10 and 11. And um, then he talks about a persecution that they were going to endure before the end times. And in verses 20 through 24, he talks about the times of the Gentiles and the, and the destruction of that temple and how some would be able to run and flee and get out the temple that was destroyed in 70 A.D. Verses 25 through 27, the tribulation will end with the second coming of Jesus Christ to this earth. We just celebrated his first coming, but at the end of the tribulation, when the nation of Israel calls upon the Lord Jesus and confesses him with their mouth, they will be immediately rescued by Jesus who will make his way to the earth. And that will be the, the, the last event of uh, the tribulation. It will be the second coming of Christ. So tonight we're going to be told to watch that we might escape. And so we pick up in verse 28. It says, Now when these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. Then he spoke to them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all trees. When they are already budding, you see and know for yourselves that summer is near. So you also, when you see thing, these things happening, know that the kingdom of God is near. As surely I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. So we begin here with this parable of the fig tree and all trees. The parable of the trees. When trees are about to put forth their fruit, you know that you're in the summertime. You are not in January, unless you're in Australia. But, you know, uh, you know you're, you're, if you're in the northern hemisphere, you are um, going to know that it's almost summertime. It's, it's nearly, you know... June, July, August, and so you see these buds coming forth. So you, you can judge um, by the signs on the tree um, the season that you're in. And so for us, we can look at what's happening in, the, you know, in this last generation and the events that are going on, and you'll know that it's the last times. And so what are the things that he's talking about? And this has been a much talked about passage. And um, for some of you, um, you, you may not like my take on this passage. Um, 
and I love to just hear your, your perspective on it. But the budding that takes place is when the, it's budding, this is not a reference to the rebirth of Israel that took place in 1948. And that is the way this passage is often, has been. I think most people have realized the error of this, and they no longer view it this way. So the thinking goes like this. The fig tree, a symbol of Israel, which it is, when it's going to bud, that means that, hey, it's, all of these things are going to take place. You can't have these events taking place without Israel. I agree. Israel's got to be in her land at the last days. I mean, there's too many things that are talked about. That's true. But to then come to the conclusion, well, when did the nation of Israel bud? She budded, they will say, in 1948. That's when she was born as a nation again. And so then people pull out um, their you know, calculators and they say, okay, if it's 1948, how long is a generation? It's 40 years. And so if it's 1948 when the nation budded, then in 1988, that generation is going to see the return of the Lord. And so books were written like this. And um, 88 reasons why Jesus will return in 1988. Guess what? Was not a good way to approach this passage. So that's okay. There's always room to correct it, right? <laughs> so um, Israel recaptured Jerusalem in 1967, and everybody said, Aha, there you go. This is what it is. It's not 1948, it's 1967. And so then, you know, you had. Those that did this. And then began, they began to say, wait, maybe the generation needs to be longer. And so they began to play with, you know, the length of a generation. And so, you know, people are trying to um, pick that time. But really, what we read here is that when, the, when you see, um, look at the fig tree, and then what does it say? And all trees. So it really is just a parable. <laughs> about trees that are putting forth fruit that tell you that look at the signs on my tree. I know the season I'm in. I'm in summer. And Jesus is saying, when you see, you know, the things taking place that, you know, we have discussed, uh, the, the cataclysmic signs in, in verse 25 and the seas roaring and, and all of these things taking place and the earth being, uh, 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 Men's hearts failing on the earth, verse 26. And then the powers of the heavens will be shaken. He says, when you see these things, look up your redemption and draw near. Then he says, now when you see these things, you know that that generation is not going to pass away. The generation that sees the abomination will not pass, of desolation will not pass away. The generation that sees the, the great tribulation, they're not going to pass away. Now, they may die in the tribulation, but that generation, there's not going to be... The, that time's not going to elapse and go on. So he's saying, when you see those things take place, then you can know how close we really are. And of course, you can read through Revelation 6 through 19, and those are, are the, you know, that's the budding, if you will, that he's referring to. And when you see those things taking place, you know it's going to happen. So, you know, a lot of people, you know, bought into this and they believed this. And then when it didn't happen, they got a really bad taste in their mouth over teaching on eschatology and last days and um, kind of maybe were even some were stumbled by this and fell away. 
um, because of that. So Jesus wants us to know um, the times in which we're living. He's given us plenty, but it isn't so that we can have a, you know, a date on the calendar. It's so that we can make certain that we're constantly living um, in a, a proper manner before the Lord. So that is what this is talking about. And, and Jesus is emphatic with this in verse 33. He says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. You can count on this. What I'm telling you is going to happen. I'm, I'm coming back. And there's going to be an end to all of this. And you will see the kingdom established when you see all of the signs that we would say of the great tribulation. When you see these things, you can know that it's going to happen. And it's, it's not like this can be an issue. It's like, well, maybe he changed his mind. No, I said it, and it is going to take place. Let's go ahead and read. Um, I want to pick up reading there at verse 34. I want to read down to verse 36. So, but take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and cares of this life. And that day, the day that we've been talking about, the day of the Lord, that day come on you unexpectedly. For it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch, therefore, and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. So before we get kind of in the details of this passage, I want to just call some, you know, lengthy preliminary considerations. The question that immediately jumps out as you look at this passage is, who are the believers that Jesus is talking about that can escape? That's a pretty key point. Who are the believers who can escape? And um, there are different ideas about this. Um, and so even among those that would hold a, uh, a premillennial, uh, pre-tribulation view, there is a difference of opinion as to who the believers are we're talking about. Are these believers that are going to escape through the rapture or these believers who are going to escape spiritually with their faith intact, not the church, but believers who live through the, who are in the great tribulation, they escape the spiritual influences that would ruin their faith. And so the question is, who are the believers and what is the escape? And those, this would be a great way for you just to, to dive into the passage asking these types of questions. So, Let's, talk, let's take the first uh, idea that these are believers who are going to escape by rapture. And again, there are a couple of people. I've, I've read uh, to you from one of these uh, men already, um, Arnold Fruchtenbaum. He has a book called The Footsteps of the Messiah, A Study of the Sequence of Prophetic, prophetic Events. I highly recommend it. It is a great book. Um, and it's easy to access and to reference. So maybe not the kind of book you're going to sit down and read cover to cover, but it's a great reference tool. Um, and so he's of the opinion uh, that this is a, a rapture uh, experience. This is the escape that's happening is an escape um, in rapture. And let me just read to you a little bit of, of why he says this. He says, first, 
Believers may escape all these things that shall come to pass during the tribulation. Well, Luke states should not be missed. He points out that the tribulation will come upon all them that dwell on the face of all the earth. In other words, no one living on the earth can escape the effects of the tribulation. So his point is, who's going to escape? It's not, and his answer would be, nobody that's in the tribulation is going to escape. That, that would be his answer. So he looks at the escape in a definite physical manner. Um, so it says it will fall upon all earth dwellers. Luke also states there's a possibility to prevail, to escape all these things that shall come to pass. Verse 36. This is not possible if one is on the earth. Hence, to escape all these things, one must be off the earth. Second, that the believer might, be for, might, uh, the believer might stand before the Son of Man in heaven. This will be the result of the rapture. We stand before the Son of Man and by standing before him, we escape all these things. Both of these things can only be accomplished by the rapture. And that is why, um, and that is why to watch is to be saved. And he makes that point earlier. David Guzik, um, good brother. Maybe a lot of you have uh, studies and read of his. He has a, a set of commentaries online, Enduring Word um, commentaries. You can go to EnduringWord.com. And, and he also takes this view that this is a rapture escape that is in view. And um, I really like the things that he has to say. He says, this is because the second coming of Jesus has two distinct aspects separated by an appreciable, appreciable time. The first aspect comes suddenly, unexpectedly, as a snare in a time of peace and safety. The second comes with great anticipation to a world almost destroyed by the judgment of God, with Jesus coming to the earth with his people from heaven. Those who are ready for the first aspect of his coming would be counted worthy to escape all these things. The things of great calamity to come to the earth. They would instead stand before the Son of Man. These are those who are caught up together with Jesus, the rapture, to meet the Lord in the air, to escape the tribulation to come on the earth. So there are a lot of people that will take that, that point of view. And I, I can completely see uh, the logic and certainly I lean that way. With this, but there's another uh, pre-mill, pre-trib, um, highly regarded scholar by the name of John Phillips, and he takes it in a different direction. Again, he has the same eschatology, um, so he doesn't have a different uh, theo theological issue driving him in this. And and his take is that this is referring to the post-rapture world those that are going to escape. Let me read to you what he says. The post-rapture world will be one of unrestrained wickedness. The Antichrist will be known as the man of sin. He will be wickedness incarnate and will encourage all kinds of evil. Fearful penalties will be imposed on those who do not wholeheartedly fall in step with the times. The removal of the church and the cessation of the Holy Spirit's restraining control will give the Antichrist full reign. Those who are saved as a result of the kingdom preaching of God's witnesses will face immediate and terrible persecution. The unregenerate will fall in with the Antichrist's policies, and believers will be under fierce pressure. They must not give in. Things will happen quickly 
universally and diabolically, it will be all too easy to believe the buttered lies of the beast, so easy to give in and follow the world into all sin. So the call, in his view, the, the call to escape um, is um, not so much, well, it's not the tribulation, but it's to escape the influences and getting caught up in the evil that is going on. And um, so these are two very different views, right? Um, and, and so where do, you, where do you end up landing? Well, I hope you'll take the time to go home and to study these things for yourself and, and to read. Um, I think the advantage of the John Phillips view that this is a reference to people in the tribulation and escaping um, the uh, spiritual influences, negative influences, is that it, it provides a consistent read of the church not being um, in the Olivet Discourse. And I really don't want to go into more detail than that because it's a really long conversation, but there is an advantage to that as you interpret that. Um, so there's that advantage. The advantage to the other one, to the other view that both uh, Guzik and Fruchtenbaum have put forth is <laughs> it's just a little easier to read it. It's just a little easier to read the escape as being the rapture, especially as you compare this to other passages, what, what we're going to do in just a moment. So whoever these believers are, there are a few things we learn about them. The believer has a way of escape. The escaped believer will stand before the Son of Man. And this day is coming upon the whole earth. And nobody's going to escape the effects of what happens on the earth once that happens. 1 Thessalonians 5.3 makes this clear that no one will escape. So we'll end up in 1 Thessalonians 5 in just a moment. But if we are to talk about what is the escape that is being referred to, I would have to say, just reading these verses 34 through 36 and everything else that we've gone before, this is referring to the physical impact of the tribulation and the policies of the Antichrist and the terrible persecution that's going to happen. And so this physical side, then it means that this, if, you, if you draw that conclusion, then you really have no other place to land other than the rapture. It's kind of like if you say yes, your answer is given to you. If you say no, then your answer is given to you. And, and here's the reason why I believe there is strong reason to see this as a, a rapture reference, a pre-trib rapture reference, there in um, Luke 21, 34 through 36. In Revelation 3.10, we read, Because you've kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole earth to test those who dwell on the earth. Pretty similar sounding passage, right? And not only that, is there's, there's, there's an escape that's talked about. The word escape is not used, but Jesus speaking to the church talks to them about the trial of the great tribulation and he says, um, if you keep my command to persevere, if you're watching, you're ready, then I'm going to keep you. You're going to escape. So I think there's, all, there's another passage that already you know, uh, uh, speaks of this. Turn with me over to 1 Thessalonians. I actually have these two references, um, a couple of references uh, that they can put up on the screen. But the more I looked at this, the more I realized we needed to, to read a lengthier passage. So actually, 1 
Thessalonians chapter 5, and I want to begin reading at verse 1. It says, but concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, and this is not going to be up on the screen for you, so you really do need to turn there if you want to follow along. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say, peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. So in the great tribulation, they're not going to escape. It's going to come. But there are some that can escape, and that's what we're talking about. But you, brethren, are not in darkness so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith, love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation. Could we put in there? But to escape through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we awake or sleep, we should live together with him. Comfort, one, Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another just as you are doing. So as you look at that, it's clear that there are other places in the Scriptures where it talks about escape and avoidance of the great tribulation that's going to take place. Both in Revelation 3 and in 1 Thessalonians 5, without question, the escape is the escape or the being kept out of is being kept out of the great tribulation. There's, uh, you know, I don't know how you can read it any other way. So if it is a physical escape that we're talking about from a specific period of time, which is the great tribulation, then the question is, who are, the one, who are these believers that we're talking about? Um, is it the 144,000? In the book of uh, Revelation, it speaks of how there'll be 12,000 from the 12 tribes of Israel. And that no harm can come to them. They will be sealed. It really doesn't seem like it's them. They will be the only ones of the entire world to escape. But to jump to the conclusion that Jesus was speaking about the 144,000 there, it just lacks any other con uh, contextual information to bring you to that conclusion. Um, we even read that the Antichrist is going to be overcoming believers outside of the 144,000. The two witnesses right, that are going to come upon the earth, they're going to perform miracles and such. Who do you think they are? Just think about it. Who do you think they are? Moses, Moses Elijah. Anybody else got another one? Enoch. Daniel and John. Daniel and John. Okay. So there's, we don't know who the two witnesses are going to be. But there's going to be two witnesses. And this is what we read about them. Of course, they're annoying the world to death because they're calling people to repent. No harm can come to them. Plagues are coming, um, like the plagues of Moses. Drought is coming. And so in Revelation 13, 7, it says, It was granted to him to make... Um, actually, Revelation eleven seven. It says, when they finish their testimony, 
The beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them, overcome them, and kill them. So not even the two witnesses are going to escape. They're going to fulfill God's purposes. I don't think we need to feel sad for them. They are fulfilling the purposes of God. But they're going to be overcome. They're not going to escape. They're going to be overcome. And, and actually, I think it's at this point in time that when these two guys are, are finally killed, nobody they've been like, you know, anything that touched them just bounced off of them. You couldn't kill these guys. But there's going to come a point in time, and I believe in Revelation eleven seven, 7, what we're reading about is like minutes before he goes up onto the Temple Mount and commits the abomination of desolation because he's going to have equity like you can't believe. The world's going to get so excited when they see him die that they're going to start giving gifts to one another. It'll be like the holiday we just celebrated Christmas, but for very dark reasons. The world's going to be ecstatic. And with the world so excited, these two guys are going to go, this Antichrist, I believe it's at that moment he's going to feel empowered. He's going to walk right up on the Temple Mount, and he's going to commit the abomination of desolation. But it's after he overcomes them. Now, Revelation 13, 7, speaking of the Antichrist, it says, It was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. So we're, into the, we're, you know, we're deep into the tribulation now. And authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. He controls the whole world. But nobody can escape him. He's going to overcome them. The church is not overcome, right? You know, the gates of hell are not going to prevail, uh, right? He's, we're not going to be overcome by Satan. We are victorious. But the believers, the saints, the elect that will be alive during the great tribulation, they will be overcome. So when you begin to talk about who's the escape inside of the tribulation, I only see one group of people that escapes anything, and that is the 144,000. And I just would say, although that is true, it just doesn't seem to fit the context. Back in Luke 21, uh, verses 36 through, uh, I mean, 34 through 36. So, to me, this only leaves one group of people, and it's the church. And it's those that are going to escape the great tribulation. They're going to be kept, to use the words of Jesus in Revelation 3.10, from that hour of trial that is coming upon the world. We're going to talk a little bit more about that, but I just wanted to kind of give you this is a little bit of a, a backdrop because there are big questions, um, you know, of who it is, who are the believers. Now, if you take the other view that says that these are believers that are going to spiritually escape, in other words, their faith will be intact no matter how they're overcome, um, I, I do believe that, yes, there will be many, you know, Hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of believers that will come to faith during this time, but a great number of them are going to be martyred. You know, there is one other group, actually. Let me just back up. There is another group that comes out of the Great Tribulation. And this is those who that they treated Israel well while she was being persecuted. And that's, you read of this in Matthew, maybe 25. 25, Matthew 25, and it's the judgment of the sheep and the goats. And if they treated Israel well, 
then they were welcome to come into the kingdom, and these will be the people that repopulate the earth along with Israel that got saved during the Great Tribulation. So they'll come through. But again, but that is just a huge jump to try and go to those people um, as the ones that are being escaped. Jesus is speaking to believers. So, um, yeah, that's where I would land. Um, I wouldn't be dogmatic about it. I tried to kind of give you a... Um, a broad understanding of the different views that are out there so you can go and, and look at this. Because a lot of these things, I mean, really what Jesus is trying to get us to do is to be ready, to be looking, to be watching. And he's not giving us a, um, you know, a blow-by-blow of everything that's going to take place with you know, a detailed um, you know, uh, time stamp on it. We get general ideas of what's going to happen so let's go back into Luke 21, and let's look at this passage a little bit more. We're going to go, actually, well, we're going to continue to, uh, you know, dwell on some of these thoughts, but we're going to, we're going to follow it um, as it comes to us in this passage. So first thing we see in verse 34 um, is that we are to take heed to ourselves, but take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing and drunkenness and the cares of this life, and that day come on you unexpectedly. So we're called to vigilance. We're called to sobriety. We're called to be those that are taking care of that which is valuable, our faith in Jesus Christ. It's precious. It's wonderful. Is there anything in this life more precious than the salvation you have? Is there anything that you would say, well, you know what? Salvation's good, but... I would give it up for. You know, and I hope that your answer would be absolutely not. Not even my next breath is worth the value that I have in salvation. So there would be no bending of that at all. So take heed to yourself. A carelessness in our faith is such a dangerous way to live. And this is what Jesus is warning against. Don't be careless. Take heed. Be vigilant. Are you growing or are you being drawn by the world? And are you making certain that the faith that, uh, that you, you're going to have, you know, in a year from now, um, you're actually doing things that are going to make certain that it's in a good place? Or are you living in such a way that faith in a year from now, who knows what's going to happen by, based on the way that I'm living? So Jesus wants us to take heed to this thing. He wants us to be most concerned in our, about our faith in him. That is number one. So the number one takeaway from any single prophetic passage that talks about the return of the Lord is take heed to yourself. That is the, the one consistent theme that you find throughout the New Testament. You find it in the Old Testament as well, but certainly in the New Testament over and over and over again, we are given some exhortations. We'll read a few of those in just a moment. The next thing that Jesus says, he says, Don't be influenced by the world, lest your hearts be weighed down by the carousing and drunkenness. So don't be influenced by the world. And, and the idea here with carousing, it actually means um, like drunken parties. It can even carry the idea of being like dizzy, like just fall down drunk. Hangover is a way even how some would, would see this. So it's basically drinking parties. And what happens at drinking parties is that you become, you fall into drunkenness. 
So there's a warning against, you know, that kind of immoral way of living life. But it would seem that this is, to take it as a metaphor, probably is a pretty good thing. Because we found this, and we read this actually um, in other places in 1 Thessalonians, is that we should not be drunk, but that we should be sober. And the idea is not of physical drunkenness in that passage, but it's that of spiritual drunkenness. You just, you're, you're, you're not sober about your faith anymore. You're just, you're just, you're carelessly, um, you know, bumbling through life like a drunkard, unaware of the challenges that are all around you. So God wants his people to be living holy, upright lives. He doesn't want them engaged in, you know, drinking parties and in drunkenness. Um, certainly he wants us to be living holy lives. And we should not allow, though, I think the broader idea is don't allow the world to influence you. Don't become so um, careless in your, your, uh, your faith that now you're beginning to take on the gate of the world. You begin to sound like the world. You begin to repeat the things that the world has to say. You have become influenced by them. You're drinking from, you know, their their source, and now you begin to walk like them. Like a drunkard who drinks, it will be, you know, will his gait, I mean, you can tell us, look, oh, he or she's drunk, look at them. Well, the Lord's like, don't be drunk. Don't live like them. The other thing that he talks about not being influenced is, is by the cares of this life. And there are so many concerns and so many agendas and plans that the world has. And we we got to be taking heed. we got to be looking, saying, wait a minute, am I, am I buying into this idea or that idea? And if we're, if we're caught up in living for this world and we become drunk with what the world has to offer, then now all of a sudden that's, that's all we care about is what the world is offering. We care about physical things. We care about, you know, the material things, and we lose sight of the spiritual. And so he doesn't want us to get become drunken, and then we get weighed down with the cares of this life. We're just we're just living this life like anybody else, except we say we're a Christian. And and there's no there's no looking up for the redemption. There's no awareness of how God wants to use our lives. So when we become intoxicated spiritually, we begin to have other priorities, other influences. And the Lord doesn't want us to do that. He doesn't want us to uh, be careless, and he doesn't want to be weighed down with cares. So You've got to look at your life. You've got to examine your heart and say, how am I living? Am I living in such a way that indeed I am taking heed? And, you know, is my eye, you know, and my vision clear about the kingdom? Or is it caught up in this present world? If what you have invested your life in in this past year is only for the world, then that's a good exhortation for you to make some changes moving forward in this next year. What did you store up in heaven? What did you put away? What pleased King Jesus and how you lived your life? That's, that's the key thing that we need to be so concerned about. 
In verses, uh, at the end of verse 34, um, he goes on to say, and, and all the way through verse 36, he says, And that day come upon you unexpectedly, for it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the earth. Watch, therefore, and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. So there's this, this exhortation to watch and pray. They go together. So we're to take heed, um, and now we're to be watching in prayer. We're to, that this is how we ready ourselves in these, these last days and how to live. Now listen, every generation of the believer of believers should hear the words of Jesus, take them in, and walk them out. When, when Peter and the disciples were about to be sifted like wheat, as he said, Satan has asked for you, he desires to sift you like wheat, he says, but I have what? I've prayed for you. And he told him to do what? It's to pray. Well, that's when he kept falling asleep. And he said, can you not even pray an hour? And the disciples kept falling asleep. They were not watching. They were not praying. The spiritual priorities had fallen off. And, and what Jesus is saying to you is, you've got to have those spiritual priorities you know, tuned up and ready to go. You need to be a person, a man or a woman of prayer. I mean, this phrase, and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass. That's, that's a heavy statement. That is a statement that calls us to be people of prayer. Prayer is not a spiritual gift. Oh, I don't have the gift of spiritual or of, of praying. That's not a gift. This is like fundamental to our faith, is that we are people that are in constant communion and conversation with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The conversation is going on. I'm talking to him. I'm praying. I'm asking him to give me strength to stand in this world and to not become caught up in the cares of this life, to not lose that, that vigilance in my spiritual life. Lord, keep me alert. Keep me sharp. And we are praying, knowing that there's going to be terrible times that are going to come upon the earth and knowing how bad they are. It's like we don't want. We want to escape these things. Jesus wants you to escape these things. We read in 1 Thessalonians um, 5, 4, and 5, it says, You, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. So the believer is not going to be overcome, and the believer should be one that is praying. And so we want to be ready. We want to be alert. Um, and he says it's not going to overtake you. It's going to overtake the world but it's not going to overtake you. And so there will be that escape that's going to take place. But a day of reckoning will come, as we read there, unexpectedly upon this earth. They're not going to be ready for it. Even though we have all of these scriptures, it's like when Jesus came the first time. He said to Israel, you should have known this day, especially your day. You should have known. You know, there were angels that announced this. There were people that were speaking of it. Prophecies were coming to, to pass and being fulfilled. You know, like raised people from the dead, gave blind or sight to the blind and hearing to the deaf and speech to the mute. I cast out demons. You should have known. 
You should have known. And, and the Lord is going to have that same uh, evaluation in the end is you should have known. Especially us as believers. So where is watching and praying in our life? Where is that sense of being aware of the evils and the, and the, the lust and how easily we can be pulled out? Where's that watching that's going on in our life? And where's that praying that takes place to be strengthened so that we can escape the things that are going to come to pass? And why are we going to escape these things? Because as we read earlier in 1 Thessalonians 5, we have not been appointed to wrath. It's not God's desire that his children would experience the great tribulation. There's an escape that he wants to provide. In verse 36, he gives us um, a couple of things that should really motivate us. And so number one, escape the coming trouble. And number two, to stand fast before the Son of Man. Two reasons why we should be taking heed. Two reasons why we should be watching and we should be praying. Because we want to escape the coming trouble and we want to stand before Jesus. We want to stand in a way that we can feel good about that meeting with him. So escape the coming trouble. The, t- the trouble that's going to come upon this earth. Nobody is going to want to be on planet earth. Everybody is going to be looking for an exit from planet earth. It is going to get so terrible. It will be unlike anything Jesus said that has ever happened on the world before. There will be the cataclysmic events of of the stars falling. There will be all kinds of issues in the seas and the water supply and famine. There will be wars. There's going to be a tyrant, the Antichrist, ruling and reigning and slicing down anybody who doesn't take that mark and worship him. And, and on top of all of that, there's going to be demonic beings that are unle- unleashed from the depths of this of hell to come and torment man upon this earth. Can you imagine what it's going to be like? And, and he says, you want to escape this. <laughs> you don't want to be here. I want you to escape these types of things. And there are those who will be cavalier and, and say, well, you know, that's okay. I'll, I'll know what to do when it happens. Well, listen, you know what to do right now, and that's to get right with Jesus, and you're not doing that. So why are we going to think that you're going to make the right decision later? If you can't make the right decision when you have family and friends and loved ones you know, to stand with and to cheer you on and celebrate your faith in Christ, why would you think you're going to do that when everything is against you? So the, the call of the Lord is to Live now in such a way. And, and Jesus is that answer. Jesus is the one that is going to provide this way of escape. So we want to escape. But the second thing that should be motivating us to live in the way that he's told us to is that we're going to, and it's the end of verse 36, it says, and to stand before the Son of Man. And to stand before the Son of Man. You want to escape the trouble, and you want to stand before the Son of Man. And we, we know this, what event we're talking about here. Um, it's 2 Corinthians 5, verses 9 and 10. It says, 
Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether things good or bad. We're going to have a meeting with Jesus. We're going to have a face-to-face encounter with him in which he's going to review our lives and how we live them as children of the Lord. Your soul's not on the line. It's your service. It's those wonderful words, well done, my good and faithful servant. It's that that's on the line. And that is going to be everything. As you gaze and I gaze into the eyes, who has you know, eyes like the flame of fire, eyes that... that wept over Israel, eyes that wept over us, we're going to look into those eyes and we're going to know all the gifts that he's given to us. We're going to know all the opportunities we had. And we're going to know how he laid down his life for us. And if you think that we can stand before the Son of Man and not be bothered by a wasted life, then you just don't understand Scripture And you don't understand what it's going to be like. Because in 1 John, it talks about us not being something at his appearing. What's that word? Ashamed at his appearing. Therefore, some will be ashamed when they stand before the Son of Man. Saved, yes. Thankful, yes. Redeemed, yes. But ashamed, that is... Not something I think any of us want to experience. So we're going to have this moment where we stand before Jesus. And and he's going to review our life. What a day that is going to be. But you know, there are many scriptures, many passages that talk to us about the day of accounting and living properly. Let's just look at a few of them together. Um, The first one, and you guys don't have them up there in the... In the booth there. But the first one I want to go to is to uh, Titus. Turn with me to Titus chapter 2. And I want to read verses 11 through 14 together. Titus chapter 2. So we've been going through First and Second Timothy. Titus comes right after that. Before Philemon. Before Hebrews. It says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly. So there's that, again, that idea of sober in, in relation to a believer's conduct. Righteously and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. You've been redeemed to have your sins forgiven. That is true. But you have also been redeemed that you might be a person that is just full on in service to Jesus. That you might be a person that's zealous. The, word, the idea of zealous is like something that's uh, like at the boiling point. It's just a roaring um, pot of water. 
Imagine a pot of water, and it's, it's, there's so much force from that roaring that the lid's kind of rattling on top of the, that pot. That's zealous. It's, 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 it's movement. It's in eagerness. And we've been redeemed to be watchful and prayerful, to be zealous. And so when we stand before the Lord, yes, it is salvation first and foremost. But don't lose sight of this. And notice how. Um, and I mentioned it earlier in the study, there, you go to so many passages about the return of the Lord, and so often, if not always, it then talks about our conduct. It talks about how we live our life, like Jesus is. Uh, another passage, keep turning ahead, go past Hebrews to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. We'll read a few verses here. Well, verse 7, actually. It says, But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. So again, you see the way prayer is connected with a preparedness for the last days, for the coming of Jesus Christ. So be serious about it. Be watchful in your prayers. Everything's about to come to an end. And he goes on to talk about some of the things that we should be uh, serious about. And you can read those on your own. Turn ahead a couple of pages to 2 Peter chapter 3. And I want to pick up reading at verse 8. Actually, we'll, we'll pick up at verse 3. That's what we'll do. 1 Peter 3, 3. It says, Knowing this first, the scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willfully forget, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished being flooded with water. He says, sorry. So they say, uh, it, where is his promises? I mean, nothing has ever changed. God never steps in. He goes, oh, they, they, they just conveniently forgot about the flood. That was judgment. But the heavens and the earth, verse 7, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with a fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for the new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. And consider that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation. And he goes on. 
we could go through two dozen passages in the New Testament that talk about the return of the Lord and the last days and the believer's conduct in life and being watchful and being in prayer and being sober. This is the Lord's word to us. How important must it be that he says it so many times? You know, in that passage, I, you know, it says, pray that you may be found worthy to escape. Now, I know that bothers some of you that he says that. But that's what it says. You can do whatever you want with it. But what it says is, you need to pray that you will be found worthy to escape. I don't need to worry about it. You know, I'm a Calvinist. No, I think you need to worry about it a little bit. Because Jesus said, pray that you would be worthy to escape. If he says to pray that you would be worthy to escape, that's exactly what you need to do. You don't have to overthink that. But to dismiss it and say, once saved, always saved, and to not then take heed to yourself is such a foolish way to live your life. Now, don't read into what I'm saying. I'm just addressing this lethargy, this casualness, being cavalier, I don't know, whatever word you want to use, of those who have faith in Christ and live carelessly and yet appeal to some theological position or some Christian phrase that we use as if you don't have to do what the Lord said you have to do. You know, pray that you would be found worthy to escape. Now, he told us what to do. We don't have to overthink this one either. You just pray. Lord, help me. Ready me. May my faith, may my, my, my conduct, may my service be so pleasing to you. Lord, I don't want to be ashamed at your appearing. And so we will either be found worthy or we're going to be ashamed when Jesus returns as believers. Because there evidently is a class that can be ashamed. And, and the Lord definitely does not want us to be among those. So let's just finish it up. Just a few verses here at the end of chapter 21, verses 37 and 38. And in the daytime, he was teaching in the temple. But at night he went out and stayed on the mountain called Olivet. Then early in the morning, all the people came to him in the temple to hear him. And again, the, the, the movement of the, of the original Greek here is that it was just it was going on and on and on. It was just he was teaching. I mean, it just that's all he was doing was teaching. So in the last days of the Lord's life, the last week of the Lord's life, he was nonstop teaching. He was just communicating truth because he knew that he was about to go to the cross. And he would not have these moments with the, with the people anymore. Um, and so the Lord, um, such a faithful shepherd, shepherd teaching his people. So in chapter 21, Jesus prophesies that the temple would be destroyed, and indeed it was destroyed in 70 AD. They were amazed by it, but he says, don't be amazed by it. It's just going to be turned to a bunch of rubble. And so there was great persecution that came upon the land of Israel, their judgment, came, they were dispersed out into the nations. Historically, we read that 
Um, a lot of believers fled uh, because of this prophecy that when you see the city of Jerusalem surrounded, when believers saw Jerusalem being surrounded, they fled over into Jordan. Can't find that in Scripture, but that is a historical um, reference I gave you last week. Jesus then prophesied of things that would happen at the end of the age. And lastly, the exhortation is given on how to escape the coming trouble and stand before Jesus Christ. So the question is, are you ready to stand before the Son of Man? Are you ready to be in front of your Maker and give an account for how you've lived your life? Don't allow yourself to become... um, you know, inebriated with what the world has to say. Don't allow yourself to be influenced by those things. Be careful in your conduct. Be watchful in prayer. That is the word of the Lord. Father, we thank you that you've told us of the things that are to come. And Lord, as we read these things, we, we want to know more and more and more. But what you have given us is everything we need to know on how to live our lives with the approaching um, end-time scenario. So, Lord, help us. Whether these events that we read of will happen in our days, begin to happen in our days, or whether it's for another generation, Lord, it doesn't matter. Your word to us remains the same. And I pray that we would take careful evaluation of our heart and our lives. I want to just give you a moment to do just that. As, you, as we hear these words of the Lord, are you being watchful? Are you walking soberly? Are you engaged in meaningful prayer to be a worthy man, to be a worthy woman of the one that you will stand before? The Lord has not left us as orphans. He has sent his spirit who dwells within us. He is at work to sanctify us. He comes upon us to accomplish the tasks that he gives to us. He has sent another just like himself, just like him. The Holy Spirit is God. God dwells within us. Oh, how you need to be careful that we don't grieve him or quench him through our conduct, through our carelessness, through our prayerlessness. Lord, we pray that we not only would take heed, but Lord, we have sons and daughters, family members, friends, brothers and sisters in Christ that we know who aren't taking heed. And we pray, Lord, that you would, you would allow us, you would give us a voice into their life to speak to them. That, Lord, there's, there, the generation would be ready of your church when you come back. And so we pray for these that are just living, caught up in the cares of this world, that you would just set them free, Lord, and you would give us a, an opportunity to bring this strong word of exhortation. And it is in the name of Jesus we pray.